to go to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 13. We have some folks in the room tonight who attended Hiles Anderson College, where I have worked now for 45 years. And we have some folks here tonight that have graduated from Hiles Anderson College. And so I want to choose a book in the Bible that even those people can find. So we're using the book of Genesis tonight, Genesis chapter 13. Before I um, get to uh, Genesis chapter uh, 13, I'm going to read a few verses for you uh, before I get there. If you'll listen carefully. In the book of Ecclesiastes, the Bible says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. What that verse is teaching us is if two people have a job to do, and one tries to do it by himself and the other one tries to do it by himself, it's going to take them longer. But if the two of them can get together, they'll earn more. They'll have a greater reward for the work that they did. Uh, let's suppose there were two vacant lots, and we were going to build a house on each lot. And we had two carpenters, and we asked one carpenter to build this house. And we asked the other carpenter to build this house. <laughs> can you imagine how long it would take them to build those houses? But if we asked the two carpenters to build this house, and when they finished, the two carpenters build this house, they'd get done a lot quicker and, and they'd have a greater reward for it. That's what that, by, that verse is teaching. But listen carefully. The next verse says, For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? I read a book recently about the pilgrims that came here to America. And in that book, there was a story about when they were uh, in their first winter here, a little girl in the colony got lost. I think she was four or five, six years of age. She wandered outside the, the colony, and she got lost in a snowstorm. And they were afraid she was going to freeze to death. So they all stopped what they were doing. They went looking for her. And in the snowstorm, a 16-year-old girl that was helping to look for the little girl, she got lost. Finally, they had to give up middle of the night. Everybody was about to freeze to death. They all came back to their cabins. That 16-year-old girl miraculously found that little girl. A 16-year-old girl was about to freeze to death. A little girl was about to freeze to death. But the 16-year-old girl knew that if she would take the little her inside her cape and wrap it around the two of them, they laid down in the snow and they survived the night because the two got heat from each other. But either one of them would have frozen to death. That's what that verse is telling us. And then the next verse says, And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. What it's saying is this. If I have an enemy, and Brother Patterson has an enemy, and our common enemy comes to attack us, if he attacks me first, he has a 50-50 chance of winning the battle. If when he finishes me, he attacks Brother Patterson, he has a 50-50 chance of winning the battle. But if Brother Patterson and I can get together and say, look, we've got a common enemy, let's both withstand him when he comes, he has a very slight chance of winning the battle when the two of us gather up or gang up on him. But the Bible goes on to say, a threefold cord cannot be quickly broken if Three of us, if the two of us can find one more to help us, three against one, one's not ever going to win. Now, I know in the cartoons it makes it look like Spider-Man can beat up all three of them at the same time. 
but that's not reality. If one comes to attack all three of us, if we fight together, we're pretty well going to win. That's what the Bible verse is teaching there. I'm going to read one more place for you, if you'll listen quickly. The Bible says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. In Genesis chapter 13, we have two people. We have Abraham and Lot. Lot was Abraham's nephew. Those of you that are fairly familiar with the Bible, may I ask you this question? Who was more blessed, Abraham or Lot? Now remember, Abraham was the father of the nation of Israel. He was the father of the Jewish race. He was called the friend of God. At one time, the Bible says, Abraham says the Lord blessed Abraham in all things. Now compare that to Lot. Lot uh, uh, had some sons-in-laws that mocked him. He had, uh, at one time, he lost everything he had when the city was destroyed. At one time, his wife was turned to a pillar of salt. His own daughters abused him. Now, which do you think was more blessed, Abraham or Lot? It's obvious Abraham was. Okay, now if you would, look in Genesis chapter 13. We're going to begin with verse 1. Abram, it says, and Abram. Abram is Abraham. Sometimes he's called Abram and later his name was changed to Abraham. So it says in chapter 13, verse 1, And Abram, or we would call him Abraham, went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all he had, and Lot went with him into the south. And in verse 2, And Abram was, notice these words, very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. Now if you would skip down to verse 5. Verse 5, the Bible says, And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. Do you see the difference there? Abram was very rich in herds and cattle and silver and gold. And Lot also had some tents, some cattle. See, the Bible's making a very clear distinction there that Abram was Abraham was the more blessed of the two. Now let's skip down to uh, verse uh, uh, verse 6. And the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together. For their substance was great. The combined substance of Abraham who was very rich and Lot who had some tents and herds. Uh, their combined substance was very great so that they could not dwell together. Verse 7. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle, and the Canaanites and the Perizzites dwelled then in the land. Verse 8, And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, uh, for we be brethren. Verse 9, Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right, or if thou wilt depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. Between Abraham and Lot, they had a great substance, so much so that they couldn't dwell in the same area because their herdmen were fighting with each other. Between Abraham and Lot, which one of them proposed uh, a solution where that they could get along with each other, so that they could figure out how to, how to survive and still have some peace between them? Which one offered the solution? It was 
Abraham. It was Abraham. You know, in the New Testament, when Jesus preached his first sermon, or at least the first sermon that's recorded in the Bible that we have of Jesus, he made the, uh, Jesus uh, made, made the statement in, in that sermon, Blessed are the peacemakers. You know, I know this sounds sacrilegious to say it this way, but maybe Jesus knew what he was talking about when he said, Blessed are the peacemakers. Abraham was the one who tried to make peace, and he was more blessed than Lot. Bible tells us, Jesus himself said, that offenses must come. He said, woe unto the world because of offenses. For it must needs be that offenses come. Jesus Christ himself said, just mark it down. It's going to happen. People are going to get offended. It must happen is the way Jesus worded it. What he was saying was, if, if there is a family that tries to live together... Somebody's going to get offended. If there's a group who try to go to school together, somebody's going to get offended. If a group try to work together, somebody's going to get offended. If a group tries to have a church together, somebody's going to get offended. It's just going to happen according to Jesus Christ. There's no way to avoid it. Offenses come from men or uh, people uh, offend each other, if you want to put it, put it that way. Bible says... If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. If the one who makes the peace, okay, first of all, if somebody's going to get offended in every situation, then somebody's going to have to be the peacemaker. And in every situation, there needs to be a peacemaker. In every marriage, there needs to be a peacemaker. In every family, there needs to be a peacemaker. In every Sunday school class, there needs to be a peacemaker. In every school, there needs to be a peacemaker. On every sports team, there needs to be a peacemaker. Uh, uh, in every church, there needs to be a peacemaker. Jesus Christ said, if you get people together, somebody's going to get offended. So if you want to be the peacemaker, you'll have a lot of job security. You'll never run out of a chance to, 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 to do what a peacemaker is supposed to do. One of the greatest abilities you need to have in order to succeed is to become a peacemaker. And I know we've already had quite a bit of an activity this evening, and we've all enjoyed the meal and the videos and the testimonies and so forth, so I'm not going to keep you long, and, 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 and I'm going to do this much quicker than it sounds like, but I'm going to give you nine things, and I'm just going to read them quickly, the nine things that you can do to be a peacemaker. Number one, I'm just going to, usually I take a half hour or so and I teach this outline. I'm not going to do that tonight. I'm just going to read through the nine points right quick. Number one, if you want to be the peacemaker, don't tell the negative truth that you know about other people. If you know something negative about somebody else, even if it's true, just don't tell it. And I guarantee you there'll be a lot more peace if you just won't tell anybody what you know about somebody else, unless you're the official person that is supposed to deal with it, if you're the policeman, if you're the lawyer, if you're the prosecutor, if you're the school teacher in the classroom that's got to report something to the pastor or the principal, or, 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 or you know, unless you're the official person that's supposed to deal with this particular situation, just don't tell the negative truth that you know about uh, uh, other people or somebody else. Number two, 
Don't listen to negative truth. Don't be the one who likes to hear uh, the negative truth. Don't be the one that everybody is always bringing you all the negative, uh, uh, the negative uh, information. Uh, let it be known that you don't want to hear the negative truth. You know, the Bible says that as a north wind driveth away rain, so doth an angry countenance a backbiting tongue. You know, when the wind's blowing from the north, it often drives the clouds away and, and, and it doesn't rain much. Uh, uh, but it, it, and, and if, you, if somebody tries to tell you something negative, they try to criticize somebody else, if you'll just give them that look that you don't want to hear it, most of the time they'll just stop. I was in a situation not long ago where a group of men were eating a lunch together and we were going through the, the line to get our food and then go sit down at the table and I happened to be the first one in line to go through to get my food. I'm good at doing that. And, and, and I got my food and I sat down at the table and I had my fork right here. I hadn't even taken my first bite yet and the man, next man in line sat down across the table in front of me and before he even sat down, he looked down at me and he began to tell me something negative about some other men. And I just looked at him. I just stopped in mid-bite and I just looked at him. I didn't say a word. I just looked at him with that look that said, I don't need to hear this. I'm not interested. I don't want to hear any of that. And as he sat down, he said, well, it's true. And I just said, and we were together for three days, and he never brought it up again one single time. Number one, don't tell negative truth you know about other people. Number two, don't listen to negative truth about other people. Number three, don't want to know negative truth. Just change your appetite. Just, just become the person who doesn't even want to know it. Number four, don't listen to or tell what might be true. If we're not going to tell negative truth, if something just might be true, well, let's dead sure don't, don't tell that. Number five, don't listen to tell negative rumors. You know what a rumor is? A rumor is something that we know is probably not true, but we enjoy listening to it. A rumor is something that we know is probably not true, but we enjoy telling it because it just might be, and it makes me look like I'm the one who's in the know, and I know it all. So don't tell or listen to the negative rumors. Number, number six, don't give your uninformed opinion of the cause. You know, so many times... I have heard somebody say something. Immediately, my response was, well, I'll tell you why they did that, <laughs> but I don't really know, <laughs> but, but I'm good at saying that. I have a suspicion there's somebody else in the room that would admit you, you've done that before too. Number seven, don't give your opinion the motive. I don't know why somebody else did something. Only he knows the motive. Even the person who does it doesn't know the motive. God says we don't know our own heart. Number eight, do not allow yourself to form an opinion. You don't have to have an opinion about everything. And number nine, do not listen to other people's opinion about the causes. Now, if you would, real quick, one last thing, turn to James chapter 3. And I'm going to wrap this up with James chapter 3. In James chapter 3, James, of course, is over towards the end of the Bible. Just keep going and going and going till you come to the book of James. If you come to the book of Concordance, you went too far. Find James chapter 3, and we're going to begin with verse 17. James chapter verse 17 says, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Can I ask you a question tonight? Are you easily 
entreated? Can I come and ask you a question without you snapping at me? Can I come and, and, and get you involved in something without, without uh, it, it, the, the situation escalating real fast? Are you easily entreated? The Bible says that if you have wisdom that is from above, wisdom that you got from God, then that wisdom is pure and it's peaceable, it's gentle, it's easy to be entreated, it's full of mercy, it's full of good fruits, and it's without partiality and without hypocrisy. Verse 18, And the fruit of the righteousness, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. The Bible says, Mark the perfect man and behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. The Bible said, as we read a few minutes ago, it be possible as much as lieth in you live peaceably with all men. And the Bible says it is an honor for a man to cease from strife. Can I tell you something tonight? You're never going to find that utopia, that one peaceful, perfect spot, that one peaceful, perfect time in life when finally all the strife is over and, and all of the Offenses are over and nobody's offended and nobody's upset. I'm sorry, you're not going to find that time. Jesus Christ himself said it must come that offenses will happen because we're human beings. We're all sinful. We're all depraved. We've all got hot tempers. <laughs> and today I'm going to be the one who got offended and tomorrow you're going to be the one who got offended. So we'll never run out of opportunities to get to be the peacemaker. Can I tell you why you love this church? Because somebody... Or somebodies around here have been the peacemaker more times than one. I'm not here all year. I just pop in one day a week, uh, one uh, one day a year, uh, uh, one Sunday a year, and uh, everything looks hunky dory and everybody seems happy and and and, and we all uh, smile a whole lot because the guest speaker's here. <laughs> but somewhere along the line, in the next 51 weeks, somebody's going to get offended. When I get back here next year and everybody's happy and got a big smile on their face. It's because somebody was the peacemaker last year. Sometimes it's the pastor. Sometimes it's the school administrator. Sometimes it's the Sunday school teacher. Sometimes it's one of the ushers. Sometimes it's the choir director. Sometimes it's uh, uh, somebody who's working in the nursery. But somebody has to be the peacemaker. In this church, in your home, among your family, where you work, the Bible says that it is an honor for a man to get to be peacemaker. I hope that every single one of us will strive this coming year to be the peacemaker in your marriage, in your home, in your family, on your job, at your church. I have every head bowed and every eye closed.